Well, happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Oh, raise your hand if you have a mom. Okay. Some of you are not raising your hand, and that deeply concerns me. So we're going to try that again. Raise your hand if you have a mother. There we go, yes. So we all have somebody to celebrate today. I'm so excited to be here to celebrate this very special day with you. Um, I'll talk a little, just kind of share a little bit about myself before we begin. Uh, The first is that I am the mother of several amazing children who I love so much when they're not with me. Uh, I have to say, uh, also currently, um, I am the author of three New York Times bestsellers. Uh, yeah, I um, actually haven't written them. They're still in my head, but I know that when I do. And the, the quarantine, uh, so I'm in Colorado. Quarantine, it was a little strict, uh, and uh, that meant that I ate a lot. So if I'm going to be totally honest, the other thing about me that you should probably know about is this dress is so tight right now that I am like a Pillsbury biscuit can because the moment I'm going to start to open it and unzip, it's just going to go exactly like that. Only since quarantine, it's like my stomach and after having kids, it's starting to fall over on top of itself like the crescent roll shape. That's really what's happened to me with quarantine. But I think the biggest thing that people really get a kick out of is that I have almost died a bunch. I know. People really get a kick out of that. And uh, to be honest, sometimes that kind of hurts my feelings. <laughs> but it, So I, that is kind of my claim to fame is uh, I've accidentally almost died a bunch. I don't recommend it. It's not one of those go home and try that now things. Um, and you do learn a lot about life when you almost die. Like one of the very first things I learned is that people say that laughter is the best medicine. Have you have you heard that? Yeah, laughter is the best medicine. And I am here today to tell you that it's not. Uh, morphine is. Because I have laughed and I have been on morphine and I can tell you that there is no comparison whatsoever. Yeah, if you're hurt, you don't want to laugh, right? So <laughs> just a little first word of advice. The other thing is that uh, I really learned that life truly is all about relationships, right? The best thing about life is other people, right? The worst thing about life is other people. And right? <laughs> But really, God is a God of relationship, so much so that he sent his son so that we could have a relationship with him forever. And really, when you look back on your life, those are the things that matter. And one of the relationships that I cherish the most is that of being a mom. I do. I love being a mom. I'm just not any good at it. Uh, I Back when I was young and I thought I knew everything, I thought I would gather the children around the table at night in their homemade clothing, and we would have homemade dinner with homemade bread and homemade butter that I you know, made from the cow that I milked out back. And then I thought I'd be one of those cool homeschool moms that teaches their kids math lessons in the grocery store. And I can tell you the only math lessons my kids have ever heard in a grocery store is, I am counting to three. 
That's it. That's all that they've learned. But I did. I always wanted to be a mom, and and I remember when I got pregnant with my first one, and I was so excited, and I would go to a more experienced mothers who had children, and I would ask them questions and tell them I was pregnant, and I noticed they all kind of did the same thing. They just looked at me, and they kind of just smiled. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, you're pregnant. Like that, oh, and they never really told me the truth. (laughs) Like nobody tells you the truth about motherhood. So now that I look back, I'm like, I know exactly what that look was. Because here's the first example, is that when my daughter, I was nervous about labor. So I would go to the moms and I'd be, what's labor like? And they all told me the same thing. They said, oh, Stacy, once you put that baby in your arms, it will all be worth it. And then I had my daughter and I was like, you are all a bunch of liars. So I feel like it's my duty, my gut-wrenching obligation to tell someone who's pregnant for the first time, the truth. Is there anyone here by any chance pregnant for the first time? Anyone? Oh, I'm going to be honest. Okay. So it is the most hideous, excruciating, unbearable pain. And the moment you think you can't take it anymore, you have your second contraction. Am I right? Am I right, women? Moms? Yeah. That, that is it. I, love, I was so excited that first time because you're just so um, naive. And I would do all the things that first moms would do. Like in Colorado, I don't know if they have it here. They had this thing called stork parking. And what it was was a special parking spot at the front of the grocery store for anyone who was expecting And I would see a mom get out of the car, and she would lumber out, you know, she's pregnant, lumber to the front of the store and say, I'm just so exhausted. I'm six weeks pregnant. And and I just wanted to drive by and put the car window down and go, enjoy it while you can, sister. Because the moment she got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a baby in the sling pushing a cart full of groceries, you can forget it because you're parking way in the back. I did try. I did try. Uh, I knew... When COVID hit and my kids came home to school, like I was supposed to somehow educate them, I knew it would not be a positive experience. And the reason is, is that for a long time, I tried to do something called family time. Now, family time is, once again, where you're supposed to gather the children in the living room or the kitchen table and communicate with no negativity and instill in them character traits and values. And that is not at all what family time looked like at my house. This was family time at my house. Mommy, what? Mommy, what? Mommy, what? You said we were going to have family time last night, and we didn't, and that means you lied, and God doesn't like it when you lie. 
we are having family time. When? Right now. We're having family time right now. All right, everybody, get down here. It's family time. We're going to learn about the fruit of the Spirit, like patience. Get down here now. Patience is get off your brother's head. Patience is will you get off your brother's head. Patience. Mammy, what? Mammy, what? Mammy, what? Does God have bones? God is like a chicken nugget. We don't really know what he's made out of, but we love him anyway. That was family time at my house. And then, uh, you know, there was a while where I had three teenagers and two tweens. And uh, that is why I'm sarcastic, bitter, and have wrinkles. I know, just kidding. But I, you know, uh, I had heard, and so I tried, that really the, the, the way to raise a, successfully raise a teenager was communication. Does is, is anybody agree with that? Heard that? Yeah, c- communication, open communication. I noticed nobody raised their hand for successfully raising a teenager. Thank you for your honesty. I love you because usually there's always like, I know, and I'm like, no. Uh, so, yeah, so I studied teenage communication very carefully. And I really discovered that there's really only two forms of communication with a teenager. There's one for the boy and there's one for the girl. And with the boy, the sole form of teenage communication is the grunt. Anything you ask or say to them, the response is, like, how was your day? Uh, Did anything exciting happen? Or, Or, I need you to do your homework. And all grunts mean the same thing. It means, why are you bothering me? You're ruining my life. That's what the grunt means. The sole form of communication for the teenage girl is the eye roll, the rolling of the eye. And all eye rolls mean the same thing. You're so stupid, you don't know anything. But in our house, we don't allow eye-rolling. We find it disrespectful. So I have found that it is so ingrained in the teenage female body that they will start to roll their eyes, and they'll catch themselves, and they'll come out in physical form. And it usually looks like this. And one of the other things that really cracks me up about the teenagers, especially the girls, is they use their age as a sole logic to be allowed to do anything. What do you mean I can't? I'm 16. I would love to use that logic in real life. I would love to walk into my boss's office one day and go, what do you mean I can't have a raise? I'm 45. Relationships are are so important, you know, especially with the children. And then, you know, we have family, right? Some of the relationships we can't choose. And, you know, but those are important, too. I come from a large Italian family. And when we get together over the holidays, we love to play family games. Do any of you play family games? A couple, yeah. So our favorite game that we like to play is the um, silent treatment game. I don't know if any of your families 
are familiar with that? They don't play that uh, in my husband's family. They do the elephant in the room game, and that's fun until you find out you're the elephant. So, but I do have to say, I do want to give a round of applause to any dad in here who tried this morning. Is there any men who tried? None? No wonder. No. Oh, okay. A couple, let's give them a hand for, they tried, right? They tried. I feel bad for men, especially uh, like on Mother's Day, because, oh, you know, or anytime it's their turn to give us a gift, because they will come to us and they will ask us, what do you want? Or what do you want to do? And we women, we don't answer them, do we? We never tell them. We never tell them. Uh, and they can't read our minds, which if you've been married for a while, you've learned, right? So uh, I um, found that there is three types of women when it comes to gift giving. The first one is, well, if he loves me, he would know what to get me. And those women are called newlyweds. That's what those women are called. The second type of woman is like the hint giver, where she said, you know what, for Mother's Day, I would just like some help around the house. There's a gift upstairs wrapped in the upstairs closet for when you need it. And those women are called smart. That's what those women are called. But, man, I will tell you exactly what we want for Mother's Day. Would you like to know exactly what we want for Mother's Day? We would like... That is, well, I can't really argue with that. That's probably better. That's, you know, well, money and. How's that? It's going to be a yes and. Money and we would like to do absolutely nothing. Nothing. But... We also want to be the complete center of attention. And in order for you to do that, you need to take care of all of the children at all times. Like even when they're fighting and doing things you don't notice, you need to take care of all of the kids. Um, and we don't want to clean up any messes because that requires work. So that also means that, you know, when you cook and you do anything, or even if you try and do laundry, you've got to make sure you pick up the sock that fell. You've got to make sure all the dishes are washed. You need to make sure it's not just junk food that you're feeding the children. Um, so basically, you need to be like domestically, beyond domestically gifted without us telling you what to do. Is that right? Is that correct, ladies? Yeah. So you're probably thinking, how am I supposed to have you do nothing, me do everything, take care of the children, and somehow miraculously keep the house clean without any input? And I would say, I don't know. Turn and ask your wife because she does it every day. I'll tell you one thing that also uh, people aren't honest about when you become a mom is what it does to your body. <laughs> I've tried to exercise. Uh, my sisters, my, both my sister and my brother were Marines. My sister is now a marathon runner. It's super annoying. And she's always like, Stacy, you got to exercise. I'm like, I know. But here's why I don't is that I'm allergic to it. It's true. 
I am because here's what happens when I start to exercise. My heart starts pounding. I feel like I can't catch my breath. I break out in a sweat. Things start hurting all over and my face turns red. And if you look up an allergic reaction on the internet, those are the exact symptoms. Exact. I did start to try to exercise, and uh, it's like it's a little pearl of wisdom that I give my children all the time. And I had a friend. She was a food buddy. And what that means is, is that we would get together and eat junk food and have fun and make fun of healthy people. And then she betrayed me and got healthy. So one day, I mean, I literally did almost, I was backing out of my driveway and she was running by me and I almost hit her. So I finally pulled her aside. I was like, what is it? What happened that you finally decided to exercise and get healthy? She goes, well, she goes, I woke up one morning and I thought, I'm never going to want to. So I might as well do it anyway. I thought, Oh, that's good. So I tried it, and I have to say it works so well that it spilled over into other areas of my life. Like, I'm never going to want to work, so I might as well do it anyway. I'm never going to want to be your friend, so I might as well do it anyway. But now my kids, I heard them. This is true story. I heard them three weeks ago. They were arguing, and that this that's what they said. Well, you're never going to want to because all through growing up then with them, when they're like, well, I don't want to clean my room. Well, you're never going to want to. So it is a great piece of advice, parenting advice, that little pearl of wisdom. And, you know, the other thing about being a mom is that it's so hard to have time to take care of yourself. I, you know, and they're like, you need to do self-care. I'm like, when? You can't even get in a shower without, you know, somebody pounding on the door and the house burning down. So, I, you know, I, I, it's hard. It's hard to take care of yourself. And, like, one of the things that I really struggle with is my hair. I've never been one of those good hair people. You know the women who look like chronic shampoo commercials everywhere they go, everywhere? You're like, wow, who did your hair? God did. It's like, oh, I missed that appointment. And I have a friend, she's from Texas, and she goes by the Texas female motto, which is the higher the hair, the closer to God. And I thought, well, sheesh, my hair is spiritually confused because right now it's like smash flat atheist in the back. It's praising Jesus on the side and uh, on the front. And then on the side is agnostic because it has no idea which way to go. That is my hair. It's it's just hard. And then, you know, summer's coming and, uh, you know, bathing suit season. And a lot of us moms, because we've had children, we, we feel self-conscious. We're like, I can't wear it. I have a muffin top. And that is a huge difference between men and women. Because I can tell you, men don't care about a muffin top. Because I've seen them on the beach. They can have an entire cake from Sam's Club hanging out over their bathing suit and they just own it. They just wear that thing wherever they go. So I, because I've had children, I, his friend told me about this thing called Miracle Suit. And I went, I was like, she's like, it, it, it's amazing. So I went online and it was like, it's like 
too much money. And so I bought, I did, but I waited and I bought it on clearance in the fall. And I have to tell you that the miracle suit is amazing. It is like Sphinx on steroids. It just sucks it up. And it says right on the tag that will instantly make you look 10 pounds thinner. And I figured out why. It's because you lose 10 pounds just putting the thing on. It's like, Oh, sorry. oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but then I'm trying to go to the lake. It's like. <laughs> mommy, mommy, come play with me. Um, mommy can't move right now. But doesn't mommy look good? I will say that uh, I'll share my story now about almost dying a bunch and all that. But, you know, um, one thing that I did learn uh, that's a little more serious is that, uh, you know, because I had children at the time when I got sick. And before I had kids, I mean before I had kids, before I almost died, uh, I used to say things like, because there was five of them. Uh, I used to say things like, oh, I have to get them to here, I have to get there, and then I have to get their lunches made, and then I have to get to work, and then I, ha- I got I to gotta do laundry, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And then I almost died, and I almost didn't get to. Mindset shift for me that God showed me was that I don't have to, I get to. So when your teenager is falling apart, I'm like, I get to be here. I get to be the one that watches your teenage angst. Like, that's me. I get to be here to do the laundry for you. I get to. And, you know, it spreads again, like, to other relationships, like with a spouse. It's like, of the billions of people on the planet, I get to be the one to pick up your underwear. Me. But it does. It gives you a sense of gratitude when you have that thought. And even when it comes to our work and things like that, it's like there's so many people that wish they could be in our situation sometimes. As far as like when you look at the rest of the world to be able to even just have a job, whether we like our job or not. You know, uh, it's a job. Uh, whether we like it or not, there are people who don't. And to be able to have steady income and work, to say, I don't have to go to work. I get to go to work. I don't have to be with you. I get to be the one to be with you. So, all right, I'll tell you my story um, because I want to encourage any moms in here or anyone in here today who feels like they might be struggling a little. Um, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, very rural. My parents were hippies, and um, I, I was actually born in a one-room cabin with no running water or electricity, and I was potty trained in an outhouse. And it makes for uh, interesting comedy when you come out of that life at, like, 20, and the rest of the world doesn't operate that way. So <laughs> I, whoop, um, I uh, had an English teacher. We had a very, very small school. It was 70 kids, 7th through 12th grade. 
And I had an English teacher in 11th grade who pulled me aside and asked if I'd ever thought of acting. And I was like, I didn't even know what it was. We didn't have theater. We didn't have anything. So she would teach me acting in her room. And then she took me to a competition where I performed for the very first time. Looking back, it was awful. But I performed for the very first time. And one of the judges pulled me aside and said, how long have you been acting? And I said, today. And um, she ended up putting me in a program where I got to intern uh, at this world-renowned theater for three weeks with professional actors. And that was like my first experience with acting, and I loved it. And I ended up winning a full-ride scholarship um, to study theater in college. Uh, but I was so shy. I had such bad stage fright that I couldn't even look the other actors in the eye when I would start practicing and, and so forth. So um, I did pretty good. And then after I graduated with my first husband, we got married and he was like, hey, I don't really like this whole acting thing. So I didn't act for 15 years. But in the meantime, I had two beautiful children. Um, I had taught acting where I started a kids theater school and we helped them with that. And I would do stuff at the church. And, um, and that was fine. And then on my 30th birthday, I remember I snuck downstairs and I opened up my Bible and I said, God, you were 30 when you were put in ministry and I'm 30 today and I want to dedicate my life to ministry. I want to, you know, and I had like, you know, this talk with God and I'm like, my life is going to be so amazing after, right? Uh, that same year, my first husband was diagnosed with a terminal illness and um, he ended up getting sick so quick, like within a, just a matter of weeks, that um, he wasn't able to work. And so I went from being like partial stay-at-home mom and just teaching kids theater to, for the next three years, sometimes I was working two or three jobs at a time, 70, 80 hours a week, just to try and keep food on the table and keep the kids going. And, you know, there are times, moms, where we are just surviving. We're not thriving, we're just surviving, and there's seasons, and that's okay. And I remember thinking, uh, I hadn't cried in like two and a half years. And I've long since made up for it, but I had not cried <laughs> for two and a half years. And I remember going into my closet thinking, I should probably cry. So I like try to think of sad things, but when you are a mom and you've got people to take care of, it's like you can just shut it down and keep going. Nothing. I couldn't cry um, because of that survival mode. Um, unfortunately, uh, because of the medication and the illness, my first husband, it began to affect him mentally, and I ended up leaving that marriage for the safety of myself and my children. Um, he is still miraculously alive. Um, we have a great relationship, and um, I'm glad that the kids still have their dad to be around, but nobody wakes up and says, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a single mom. Uh, but there I was. And I thought, okay, it's okay. And I had a positive attitude. God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. Well, that summer, um, through the divorce, I was uh, I was building a children's musical theater set, and I stepped on a rusty nail. And it healed fine. Like, it wasn't tetanus. It wasn't anything. Um, two weeks later, my divorce was final, and I was signing over um, the house. I kind of just signed over the house in exchange for the kids. And I started not feeling good. 
And I don't remember much, to be honest, after that, uh, but I was in the hospital for three weeks and almost died, um, which I didn't, obviously, because that would be creepy right now. Uh, and so, uh, but what had happened was bacteria had gotten in my bloodstream and settled into some joints in my back and got infected. I was septic shock. So I've been in septic shock five different times from the infection. And uh, I remember I had the moment where I was like, I think I'm dying. And I had some thoughts. And the first was, of course, about the relationships, about life really is about relationships. The second one was that as a woman and a mom, I had spent so much of my time worrying. Like I just had wasted all this time worrying and stressing and trying to get things done and working really hard. And I thought, what, you just work hard, you stress, and then you just die? And I remember having an attitude with God, like I was mad. And then the third thing about being a mom and a woman, uh, and any of you who are a wife, was I felt like I was such a people pleaser, like that, that I never had the confidence to do what God had called me to do. I never had... Uh, like the support or anything. I just felt like this is all that I'm supposed to do, even though I knew God had other things. And so, again, I didn't die. I left. But when I left the hospital, I couldn't walk. I ended up losing my job because I couldn't walk, because uh, what my job required um, me to do at that time. And those people were my support system. So really, within three weeks' time, I had lost my home, my marriage, my health, my finances, um, and my support system. It was like my whole life was severed. But I still had a positive attitude. I still was like, no, God's going to heal it. But it never quite felt right. So uh, I, uh, to make a short story long, um, I've almost, they never, they couldn't kill the infection. And so I've almost, like I said, I've died uh, almost five times with the septic shock. I've done ICU. I've done surgeries. And I kept thinking, it's fine. Uh, but the second to the last time um, it came back, I completely fell apart at that point because I recognized that that wasn't going, it wasn't just a season. And um, I was diagnosed then with PTSD from almost dying so much. And I went through a year and a half of some really dark depression. And I knew, I just kept thinking, I, I know that this isn't who I am. This isn't what God wants for me, but I couldn't get myself out of it. Um, and so I just put one foot in front of the other to try, you know, just to try. And I had, in during that time, I had a moment where I... You know, because sometimes we do experience this and we go through hard things. Is that I thought, is there even a God? Like, where are you? I can't hear you. I can't see you. I can't feel you. Why would you allow so much suffering when I wanted to serve you? And I had a moment and I like tried to imagine the world without God and I couldn't even get 30 seconds. And I was like, Okay, because it just was like image after image after image of all the things and all the faithfulness that God had shown me through my life. I'm like, so I told him, I was like, okay, I can't deny your existence. I know you're real. I just don't like you right now. And so I went through that journey where I was like, I that was like the, really all I could pray in the beginning was just, I don't like you, but just please don't let me go my own way. And I can tell you that literally God is faithful when we are faithless, and I am a living example of that. 
I did not soar through that at all. <laughs> it was like a mud crawl. And uh, one of the most powerful things I learned about that, other than God's faithfulness, and was I had, it was a little while later when I was starting to come out of that depression and everything, and something else happened. And I remember thinking, oh, are you serious, Lord? And I pulled over and I was mad. And I was like, why do you, you know, why do you, like, why do we have to hurt? God very clearly spoke to me in that moment and said, your pain is priceless. And this is what I mean. What I realized in that moment was that through that whole journey, no one had ever acknowledged my pain. No one had ever said, I'm so sorry that you have gone through this. They never took that moment to acknowledge that what was taken was hard. And there's something so healing about that. When we take the time to tell ourselves it's okay to hurt. This is hard. Or to tell somebody else, it's okay to hurt. Because what happened was God's going to take care of it. You know, just trust him. That's all true. But there's just something so special about that. And what I realize is that when we go through something hard, something is taken from us that was priceless. It could be our sense of security. It could be a relationship. It could be our health. It could be our finances. Something is taken that we didn't give permission, our innocence, and that thing was priceless, and now we're left with this pain. And I realized then that God was asking me, you have every right to feel the way you feel, but what are you going to do about it? And that I had to make a choice. Because, and I always tell my kids, it's always harder to do the right thing than the wrong thing. If you think about it, it's always harder to do the right thing than the wrong thing. Because naturally, when something is taken from us or we're hurt, we do this. Like, that's our instinct. We want to protect. We're angry. We're defensive. We want to hold on to that pain. And God was telling me, you can do that or you can give it to me. And let me make that pain priceless. And so I made the decision to give him pain. It wasn't just like this moment of like, I'm just going to give him my pain. And then everything was amazing. It was, a, it was a process of handing over that pain to him. And in exchange, what he gave me, what he did with that pain, is he gave me some most priceless things. The life that I have is not perfect, but I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I would not have the sense of gratitude and the sense of joy of being alive had he not taken me through that. And the gift that he's given me with his spirit is those is priceless. It's priceless. And I have to look at that and I have to say, you know, the Bible says that he keeps our tears in a bottle. But Jesus knows pain. He knows that pain is priceless because he went through it. God knew that. He sent Jesus to die so much pain to the point of death. And in exchange, he turned it into something priceless, which is eternal life. Like he gave us life through that pain. And so for any any of you, especially you moms, or maybe might be in a situation where you're just surviving, or you've gone through something so challenging, and you're like, 
Are you even here? Um, I want to say that I'm sorry, that it's okay, that it's normal. And the process of giving over your pain, should you choose to, is not an easy road, but it's the right road. And what God will give in place is truly priceless. So thank you so much for your time today. I want to wish everyone a very, very happy Mother's Day. How much better she said it than I could. Aren't you glad God sent Miss Stacey all the way from California here today? I want to do this. Uh, moms, I know what you're going through is real. Because we go through real stuff. But I love the fact that God says you never have to go through it alone. You know, the Bible says there was a young lady who had done everything right. And all of a sudden she found God allowing her to go through an extremely hard situation. Just being a teenager. Finding herself being pregnant and unwed. And outcast by her parents because when they went for the census, grandma and grandpa weren't there. It was just two teenagers on their own. And her life got flipped upside down because simply there was a plan of God involved in it. Young Mary, we read about it at Christmas and we get so excited about how awesome it was to be her. But the truth is, it was a lot of pain, a lot of rejection. The love of her life wanted to get rid of her. She had to go to her aunt's house to you know, try to get through what she was going through. And so when you look, you read the response that in conversation her and the angel had. It was this. God says, highly favored. And when we think God's about to use us or he highly favors us, we think it's going to be good. Wasn't the case in this story. He said, you're about to have a baby. And it's going to be the Son of God. God's, God's going to work through this thing. But at that moment, I believe it knocked the wind out of her. Because her response was this. How can this be? I don't know about you, but I've been there. I know my family's been there. Moms, women, I know. You've probably woke up a lot of days and said, how in the world could this have happened? How could I ended up here. How can this be? And I felt like the Lord sent me here today to simply tell you this. The same thing that angel told her. He said, the Holy Ghost. God is still a very present help in the time of trouble. And what is going on, what you're going through, the burden you're carrying, the heartache that you may feel. I believe the enemy has sent it to try to stop you. To have went through a year like last year. As a mom, as a caregiver, I know you're not walking. I, you know, when you read the Bible, one of my favorite stories, when the children of Israel walked through the fiery furnace, it says they came out and they didn't smell like smoke. Man, most of the time I come out of things and I got hairs burning and, you know, singed clothes and you can tell I've been to hell and back. I always want one of them where I don't even smell like smoke, but that's usually not the way I walk through them. But I'm thankful I've never had to walk through them alone. There's always been the Holy Ghost. So I want to pray with you today. And I want the men that are here in this house and the other women too to pray with you as well. If you're here and you say, Cricket, man, I'm right now. And my response is kind of, how can this be? Your answer is the Holy Ghost. So we want to pray with you. We want to agree with you. 
that even here today, the Bible says, and the Holy Ghost came upon her. And what seemed to be a death sentence to her marriage, what seemed to be a death sentence to her relationships and her family, what seemed to be the death sentence to her relationships and reputation, became the most magnificent moment of her entire life. I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so today I want to ask that the Holy Spirit cover you, be released into your life like never before. The Bible says in the last days He's going to pour His Spirit out on all flesh. And that's my prayer for you today, moms, women, ladies, that today you would have a fresh new outpouring of the Holy Spirit into your life. And when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, the Bible says a new life began to grow on the inside of her. I believe that today God will begin to give you dreams again. I believe today God wants to give you new hope again. I believe today that the work of the Holy Spirit is going to give you strength and power again. If you're here and you're not ashamed, you say, Cricket, I need the Holy Ghost in my life and in my situation right now. Would you simply raise your hand as a acknowledgement of just like that lady we talked about at the beginning. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Please help my daughter. Maybe it's a lost kid. Maybe it's a lost family member. Maybe it's a job, financial health, wealth, any of that. I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit's available. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. And I believe today, being Mother's Day, you know, he, you, I believe, God gives me gifts every day. His mercies are new to me every day. But I, I believe there's certain days that He gives things at special portions, like when the disciples were in the upper room. There's not been another day like that since. That's the day He gave a gift that was just phenomenal. I believe you're going to receive a gift today. Can I pray with you? If you say, Cricket, I need the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, do you simply raise your hand? I'm going to say, Father God, if you're standing by somebody who's got their hand raised, would you just simply reach over, put your hand on them, let them know they're not alone, that they're loved, that we are impressed. We're so thankful that God has put you here and in our lives. And we're going to ask you, Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to come into this place. Pour out an anointing, a fresh drink over each person in here today. Empowering, filling, touching, causing dreams to come alive again, causing life to be birthed on the inside of them. Give them hope like they haven't had hope in so long. Lord, I thank you that right now, that you're giving each mother, each woman, each person, man or woman, that says, I need you today, a gift of your presence right now in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.